Hello, welcome to the podcast, Sport and Life. I hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. We'll get to the podcast with my father, Dr. Mark Draper, talking vitamin D3 specifically in just a few moments. But I wanted to say thank you to you and thank you to the sponsors as well for supporting the podcast. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene V, chief sponsors of the podcast, and they are masters of home entertainment solutions and indeed installations. And I've got all the brands available through the sister company, Serene AV, whether you're looking for a smart speaker or something more dramatic in terms of a home entertainment audio system, big screens, etc. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, we're going to talk supplements in a second. But if you'd like to check out Cytoplan's range, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, Cytoplan.co.uk is their home online. And you can get 30% off your first purchase, 10% ongoing with the code DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero, and the capital letter R. We've been taking our supplements for 20 plus years under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark, who's coming up momentarily. Remember the free mentoring session available with Anthony Asprey, the Whole Man Academy, the link in the show notes for that if you're feeling stuck or not exactly where you want to be in life. And if you ever ponder loved ones who have passed on and wanting to hear their voice and their stories again then perhaps to maybe avoid that situation in the future we've started attic box audio born out of that pain actually of missing people and it's where i sit down with members of the public to preserve their life stories and the lessons and the details of their life their voices for future generations so that's attic box audio look it up at atticboxaudio.co.uk or drapermedia.co.uk we've got an arrangement with herring shoes as well coming up on the podcast in the next few weeks which i announce shortly so look out for that if you're a fan of their wonderful shoes but for now let's get to my old man dr mark draper micronutritionist he was an anesthetist and he's now a general practitioner as well and he's versed in many areas of medicine orthodox and and maybe unconventional as well holistic medicine but here he is the one and only dr mark draper <music> Dad, welcome back to the podcast. We've got Soccer Saturday, FA Cup third round weekend <laughs> in on the background. So I just have a quick chat, though, and talk about vitamin D3 supplements in general. But firstly, as a general practitioner, what are you seeing at the moment? Lots of news headlines about coughs and colds and flu this year. Has it been particularly bad for bugs? I think that there's been probably a, a three or four different types of virus around. Obviously, there's um, the COVID-19, uh, which um, is still around and this, it, it is effect, it, it, even though the hospital admissions compared with last year are half what they were, it, that's still, still a significant number of admissions. Is that specifically for COVID-19 or is that yeah, flu Yeah, that's specifically well? COVID. 19 but they're also seeing admissions uh in the elderly and in 18 month old children's of um RSV so respiratory syncytial virus and they think the RSV exposure was reduced during covid isolation and so that because it commonly occurs in 6 month old children and what they were seeing was uh, 18 month olds getting RSV, so older children's getting it and being um, 
more seriously ill and needing to be admitted to hospital. What RSV does is cause a bronchiolitis, so it causes um, a wheezy chest infection. Yeah. Uh, so it's a virus that, uh, respiratory syncytial virus. Um, and I think the other reason why um, people are detecting it is because we got used to COVID uh, swabbing and now people are, uh, are other virus swabbing. So they're, they're picking up RSV in people admitted with uh, viral pneumonia, particularly yeah. the elderly. So in the past, they would have just been admitted and treated with antibiotics, but they're having COVID swabs, they're having RSV. So is RSV swab. different to what people are talking about flu, or is that that's yeah. an additional? Yeah, yeah. and then there's and then there's an, uh, there's a influenza virus at the moment, which presumably wasn't in the vaccine because an outbreak of influenza that affects a significant number of people is usually one that wasn't included in the flu vaccine. So the flu vaccines are developed by trying to anticipate which strains of influenza A and influenza B uh, will will do the rounds. Mm. Uh, so they try to forecast, um, and they're about fifty percent accurate. So they put three strains in the in in the influenza vaccine, and if they get it right, then and they predict which strains are going to cause the outbreak in the winter then the incidence of influenza is is quite low. Yeah. If they if a new strain emerges that they hadn't anticipated, then that can uh take affect more people because they haven't got the uh newly vaccinated immunity. But influenza um immunity there's a lot of crossover with it. So you know, when you when you the older you are, the more times you will have had different strains of influenza. So, in a way, um, in in contrast to COVID, um, uh, influenza is is going to affect young people more than the elderly because the elderly will have over their lifetime come across different strains okay. of influenza A and influenza B. Yeah. Whereas a young person may not have been exposed to a particular influenza A or influenza B, and therefore their influenza antibodies are are are, are lower and, if you like, more naive. It, it Where, ter in terms of that experience of of I guess viruses or whatever impact on our immune system, there's a lot of colloquial conversations you hear in the playground and other places saying that kids in particular immune systems are a little bit undercooked after the last couple of years. Is is that true because of the lockdowns and the social distancing and things? Would that I, have I think, I think, you? I think, that, I think there's a general consensus that 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 did happen, and 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 that uh, repeated it, it exposure does boost your immune system, and also that uh, exposure to viruses um, gives your immune system a, a, a stimulus to, to so that when you've had a virus for a period of time after that. You've you've got a you're 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 generalised in a way your innate immune system which is cellular and not dependent upon antibodies is more alert. Mm. So the innate immune system is based upon macrophages, and um, seventy percent of species on the planet only rely on innate immune system. So 
they don't acquire immunity. Mm. Whereas, phagocytes and lymphocytes and things. That, uh, uh, yeah. macro, macrophages yeah. uh, in particular. So macrophages, are, 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 so innate immune system is cellular immunity. Mm. So the, the, the macrophages, if you like, they, they would be present in... Inside a cell. In, yeah, they would be present in the tissue. So they would be um, present in the respiratory tract um, between cells. Mm. So that, if you yeah. like, they're sort of going around hoovering things up. Because a lot of people have complained about persistent coughs, haven't they, over the there's the been a virus last couple that, of years? There's been a virus uh, this winter that causes a prolonged cough. Mm. So that I, I, I haven't heard what that is. So I don't know if it's been identified. I'm surprised it hasn't been identified because it's probably been around for two or three months. So mm. you, you, you hear a lot of people saying that they had uh, an, upper you know, a, a, an upper respiratory tract infection that was like a cold, a little bit fluey. But the predominant feature was that they continued to have an ir irritable cough, which lasted for weeks afterwards. Yeah, which is perverse because we haven't actually had many coughs and colds outside of it. Unless you caught COVID the last couple of years, it's been, yes. everything's been quite corralled and, and managed yes. in that sense. Where, where does vitamin D3 fit into the, the picture around immunity? How do you think of vitamin D3 or vitamin D? But D3 is the one that we usually talk about. Um, well, vitamin D uh, is, is available from food, particularly animal products. So it's present in fish. Um, it's present in meat. Uh, it's present in milk. Um, so it's a, it's a fat-soluble vitamin. Um, it can be, it's in a, a variety of different forms. So it can, in, it can be in the form of vitamin D1, uh, which in the human body is activated uh, via the kidney into vitamin D2. And vitamin uh, D2 is converted with sunlight into the active form of vitamin uh, D, which is vitamin D3. Which is why supplements tend to be vitamin and so D3. supplements are with vitamin D3 because then you're not dependent upon sunlight conversion. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole point, particularly living in the UK for, we, well, we've just read up that it's basically you can get vitamin D3 from the sun April to October. Yeah, so... so That's <laughs> only half the time. Yeah, so, so, so factors that, that can affect the skin's production of vitamin D include latitude. So in the UK, the sun is only strong enough between April and October. Um, it's influenced by the time of day. So in the UK, it's 10 to 2. So it's quite a narrow window, really. So, um, so the, the dietary vitamin D that you can get through eggs, fish, and certain meats, that is own, but that's only useful if you have the sun to, to be a But some of, it, some, some of it will be in the form of D3. Okay. Um, so you can get vitamin D3 from your diets as well. From the from the food but most people say particularly if you've got a, a higher need for it so anyone who works indoors um, wears excessive layers of clothing uh, people that use a lot of sun cream because obviously use of sun cream in the summer will reduce your levels of vitamin d3 so you will go into the winter with a lower level of d3 yeah and so you can sort of bank it. You can you bank it to some extent, uh, but often by January, February, March, it, 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 it's low. Um, obviously, it's it, it's linked to to, uh, to 
to people with darker skins have more sun protection, if you like, so mm. so they convert less uh, D2 to D3. Uh, the elderly's conversion is less. So if someone was darker skinned, you, would you advocate not wearing sun cream at all, or is that just an individual thing they have to figure out what, what they do? Well, they still, they still will burn uh, mm. with, with too much sun, but it's more that the conversion rate, rate is less, so... Um, it's, it's a funny thing about propor proportionality, isn't it? Because a lot of people have been coached or perceive it as mandatory to wear sun cream from the very get-go, almost all throughout the winter as well. Some people wear sun cream every day. But by that rationale, if you put sun cream on all the time and you're never outside without sun cream on, you're not going to be getting vitamin D3. I think, I, th I mean, I, I would have thought <clears throat> the burn times in, in the winter on a for instance, a day like today, I, I don't think you would ever burn. <laughs> I think my brother Max is the only one that's I've seen sunburn in. The, I, I in don't the think you would burn. I don't think you would burn if you were out for four hours in. Yeah. In a on a day like today, so but, you know. Yeah, whereas what, in the, the summer, you're, yeah. you're, you're you you may on a sunny day, you may you may you may get sunburn after twenty minutes exposure. W would you get vitamin D three wearing sun cream and being out in the sun for a long time? Would well, yeah, because I mean, you know, factor eight just means that <clears throat> you can go out for eight times as long. Yeah. Uh, so if if the burn times twenty minutes, you can go out for eight uh, hundred and sixty minutes without burning. You will still, if you know, even with a factor eight, you would ultimately burn uh, if you're out long enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking about if you're thinking if you're thinking April to October and you're in the UK or a Northern Hemisphere country, you're thinking what are the tactics for building up as much reserve of it without risking skin cancer through getting sunburn or skin damage through overexposure. What's a, a good rule is what, 10 or 15 minutes without Yeah, 10 or 15 minutes, you, 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 would, you would not, yeah. uh, you would not sunburn if you like. Uh, so yeah, if, you, if you're looking at benefits versus risk, then, then your benefit is definitely there, um, but, and your risk is minimal really. Um, but before you look at supplements as well, how difficult is it for, you mentioned vegetarians and vegans before we started recording, have to pay closer attention to where they're going for vitamin D3. It's not necessarily as obvious as, as for carnivores, omnivores. Yeah. And, and obviously there's also with vegans and vegetarians, there's the B vitamins in particular, B12. So they often have to supplement with B12 because B12 is another, even though it's not fat soluble, it's a water soluble vitamin. It's uh, it's strongly linked with availability f f through animal products. So mm. you know it's it, it so B B twelve is is very low in a vegan or vegetarian diet, and 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 it would be much safer to supplement because it's a very important uh, for, methyl for, group donor sort of thing for vitamin D three because Cytoplan who who sponsor the podcast as well. There are other brands available, but. They have uh, a vegan-friendly vitamin D three source, yes. don't they? Which is what from algae? Is that is that right? Um, Where they have that derived? You may not know it to hand, but or, or, or are there food substances, vegetables that that give you vitamin D three? See where they say it's sourced from. It's a lichen complex. Mm. So. But there's not a vegetable that you can buy in the supermarket that would give you vitamin D3. No, not, not that I know of mm. readily.
What does what does vitamin D three do? Because we talk about it a lot, don't we? Is it immune system based, or is it talking about it, new, it neurochemicals it, as well? It, it regulates the uptake of calcium, mm. so it, it so therefore it's a, important in uh, growing children. Obviously, vitamin D deficiency in children causes rickets, which is bow-legged. So it affects the growth plate of bones. In the elderly, vitamin D deficiency causes osteomalacia, and osteomalacia is linked with osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is a shortage of a variety of different nutrients yeah. that includes vitamin D, vitamin K, magnesium, that's why older people, older people who may be susceptible to osteoporosis who sit indoors all the time, that's problematic as, as well. Yeah, and, and, if, and also uh, if, if your, your, your bone mineral density is, a, is affected by uh, the amount of exercise you do. So mm. if, you, if you're sedentary and, and you don't, or, or you take to, bed, take to your bed for large parts of the day, then uh, your your skeleton's not getting stressed, so it loses its mineralization. Gravity, gravity effect on it, yeah. And 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 yeah, and and, and obviously the effect of gravity, uh, but it but it's about stressing the skeleton. Yeah. Uh, and you, we say vitamin D three is possibly part of the picture around northern hemisphere countries and seasonal affective disorder. Is that right? Because of the the neurochemicals, which is interesting because I've always found and and as you know, we spent. Well, Owen and I, my sort of brother who's closest, spent our formative years in the West Indies. And actually, I always feel a sort of 70% power between November and February. Then you feel yourself kind of having a surge. And whether that's, you said, some of the neurochemicals like sort of serotonin and, and yeah. dopamine that, that are actually connected to vitamin D3. Yeah. But, um, so vitamin D is involved in the regulation uh, uh, and the production of serotonin. So mm. if you're vitamin D deficient, um, then you won't produce as much serotonin. Yeah. Um, and serotonin is linked with uh, um, calmness, if you like. Uh, so uh, ability to sleep is, is affected uh, by serotonin. Um, and then the adrenaline dopamine pathways, particularly the, the dopamine, if, if you're low in, in vitamin D3, then the the dopamine synthesis is 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 down regulated. Yeah. And the other thing that will affect dopamine and adrenaline is is the B, is B12 because B12 and folate are methyl group donors and the methyl groups are important in converting the amino acids into the adrenaline nor adrenaline. Yes. And in terms of what it feels like serotonin as you say brings calmness which in the winter, you may feel more agitated, I suppose, if you've got a depletion of that. And with dopamine, people think of it as a sort of addictive chemical. But actually, as I understand it, listening to people, there's a guy called Andrew Huberman at Stanford who does a good podcast, talks about dopamine as being a sort of motivational molecule that actually it compels you to do things. And actually, if, if your dopamine's down, perhaps in the winter, people will feel less motivated to yeah. exercise, to work, yeah. you know, to, to socialize. It might, yeah. just might change your perception of your energy, I suppose. Yes, and also the, 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 the thing about the nervous system is that dopamine pathways cross over into seroto serotonin pathways. So if you're low in dopamine, it, it can affect your serotonin. Okay. So it, it, you get crossover. Yeah. Um, but dopamine, as you say, is associated with drive 
alertness and things like that. Mm. Um, so, so with vitamin D3, you try and get as much sun as you can in the summer while it's available. And then from October onwards, do you start to supplement or do you look at it at sort of November, December? I, I would supplement with vitamin D all, all the year round, really. Because most people aren't outside enough, is that? Yeah, yeah. yes. I mean, you know, I, I, I obviously spend time outdoors when I'm not working. Down, um, down at the allotment. Yeah, but but um, but but even so, on on just on the on the basis of uh, it's not just about uh, you know t taking uh, supplement, uh, particularly antioxidant supplements. There's 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 the other things that you don't want to be without, uh, like your selenium, your mm. zinc, which you know are affected more by. Those trace elements uh, are affected more by, if you like, the agricultural techniques that are, are, are employed in different countries. So, you know, for instance, the selenium in in my uh, childhood, the average diet in the UK would have had 60 micrograms of selenium. And in 1994, math data, so that's government data on what the average person gets in their food, it was 34. Mm. So, and what, what does selenium? Or, I know some, some people pronounce it. Americans pronounce it selenium, don't they? Have? Selenium, yeah. Well, selenium's uh, there's about twenty three selenium proteins. Um, I suppose the keynote would be membrane protection. So, glutathione peroxidase is a membrane mounted uh, enzyme. So, it stops the entry of viruses into into the cell and things like that. So, it creates a nice environment for other vitamins like vitamin D three to to what is that the sort of yeah, selenium is membrane-mounted, so you would have, in, in, in the membrane uh, of your cells, you would have selenium in glutathione peroxidase, you would have vitamin D in the membrane, Yeah. Uh, you would have vitamin C more in the water, mm. uh, so in the cellular water, and you would have zinc uh, through things like zinc dismutase, that would be very much in, in the cell yeah, substance. Are you, are you, and your selenium uptake in your generation in the 1950s and 60s was higher because of the wheat coming from Canada. Was that partly that? Uh, yeah. So they th they think that in 1976, when we joined the Euro European Common Market, we stopped importing Canadian wheat. So if we were short of wheat, we imported wheat from Europe and Ukraine. Ukraine. Or Russia. One of one of the providers. Yeah. And 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 that's uh, relatively low in selenium. So we get selenium from our staples, if you like. So we get it from wheat, meat, and milk in particular. Um, and uh, so, so it's also soil depletion. Mm. So you know countries that have had um, agriculture for two or three millennia. intensive two or three thousand years, um, whereas Canada Canada's um, you know wheat growing is I don't know yeah. would the indigenous be, population were mainly would, fishers and would hunters. be a hundred years yeah. old at most wouldn't it really probably less because the indigenous population would have been fishing and hunting yeah buffalo etc so that so that their their selenium intake is is uh, in in Canada is 200 mics a day um, um, what about zinc? America would be a, a hundred is the soil deplete in the UK for zinc as well um, yeah, so I mean, the, to, the figures for for in the in the 1960s, the average person would have been getting 12 milligrams of zinc a day, um, and now they would be getting 
of the order of eight, and so in America, from it's 12 to eight. Um, zinc in America, I don't have a figure no. readily at oh, hand. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. So selenium in America would have been 100 what, versus 34. What should zinc be if it's currently eight? Well, the, the, the calculations are all dif different for, for the way that you work things out. Um, zinc absorption from food is 20 to 40 percent. So um, if, you, if, if you have eight milligrams going in, uh, you know, through your food, what your body needs on a daily, the average man uh, needs uh, uh, um, 3.5 milligrams of zinc into the body on a daily basis so if you've got 20 to 40 percent bioavailability in other words of the eight milligrams that you're going in you can get 20 to 40 percent you can't really yeah. be sure of getting 3.5 yeah so that's why i would think if you had 12 to 50 you know going back to the old figures of 12 well if you had if you had to get 20 to 40 percent of 12 you, you find it easier to get 3.5 milligrams if if you worked on the basis that uh, zinc absorption was 20 percent you know the worst case scenario your your zinc absorption is 20 percent then 2. if you you would yeah. want 15 milligrams in your food yeah so if you've got eight in the food from uh, you know, the average person is getting eight milligrams in their diet. And that's based on what, 2,000 calories a day or 2,000? 1,800. 1,800. Yeah. Which so, a lot of people eat more than that, but that's probably based on Yeah, mis mismatch yeah. Is, is sometimes about 200, 200 yeah. calories Depending a day. Depending on men and women are different. Yeah, yeah low, lower. The, 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 the figures are always, some, you know, the average mythical 70 kilogram man. Um, and is zinc more important for men? Um, zinc is important in all sorts of ways. It, it's um, it, it's improved. It, it, it's involved in wound healing. Um, we don't have a ready store of zinc, so you know we don't we don't sort of if you like carry it around or put it in a bank. Uh, it's present in the tissue, mm. and when we um, when when we say, for instance, have an operation. Uh, then we need more zinc. We liberate it from tissue. Yes. So we'll often break down a bit of muscle to liberate the zinc to repair a wound. So that's why you could say that, uh, you know, and also if you, if you were ill uh, and fighting an infection or something, you would, you would, you would need more zinc. Uh, and it, is it involved in sperm production as well? Is that correct? Yeah, it, zinc is involved in in reproduction uh, pathways and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a it's a um, it, it's a chromosome protector, isn't it? You know, it's involved. Hence, you're always joking when we were teenage boys that we were zinc deficient. I think at the <laughs> time. <laughs> um, so, get just quickly, vitamin D three. I suppose general principles. Should people get a blood test to determine their levels of vitamin D three? Is that possible, or should they assume that they can take a supplement in the winter? Of their well, if, the if, if 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 you sort of if you if you think you're in a a, a group, uh, uh, you put yourself in a group where you're very likely to be deficient, 
Um, so would people like farm, farmers might be exempt? Potentially people who work outdoors maybe have got enough from the summer to get through the winter. Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but, but I mean, my experience is that, I mean, f f rip, uh, if you look at blood levels, uh, the, the, the range of blood levels which would be considered, if you like, replete, so adequate, mm. would be 50 to 150. And what, what measurements that 150? Um, I can't remember Microgram. the units. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. Mi micromoles per liter or something. I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not unusual to find people uh, at at this time of year with, and that's the other thing is you know when are you going to measure your vitamin D? Uh, you know because yeah. if you measure it in the summer and it's okay, you can't assume therefore you don't need to take it because this time of year. Yeah. It could be half. You measure it it December, could be half the you, level. You know what chance you've got of getting through the winter before you. If you to... measured it in January or February, you pro you probably know that that was your low. Mm. And if you take a supplement, um, like a food-based supplement from, say, Cytoplan or other other places, you'd be that that would come into your system quite quickly, would it? Vitamin yes. D. Yeah. It's real. The, th the thing about vitamin D, and this is where the labs, uh, often if you if you ask for a vitamin D level. Mm. People, the labs will often refuse it on the basis that they will say, unless this person, you know, if if, if you said this person has uh, no risk factors, in other words, they haven't recently had a fragility fracture, or they, you know, if, if somebody had osteoporosis, and um, or they'd had a bone mineral density scan that said their bone mineral density was very low, yeah, then the lab may agree to measure the vitamin D, but. If you sent off a sample for a 25-year-old man, they would just say, well, why are you measuring it? You should just be giving it. Okay, so there's no, there's no downside to taking it, to having too no. much vitamin D3. No, if you, if you, from my experience of measuring it uh, before and after, if you like, if, if somebody was uh, at 25 and they took uh, a supplement with... 20 to 40 micrograms of, of vitamin D3, yeah. then the next time it would checked, it would be 75 to 100. Okay. It would be over the 50. So, how, so, how, so what sort of supplementation should, so, the, should the average person take? Or does it vary on skin color, sunlight exposure? I think you would, I, I would recommend between 20 and 40 micrograms. If it was 10, it would be okay. Yeah. Um, Pregnant women are recommended in the UK to take vitamin D, um, particularly if they had, for instance, a pregnancy, breastfed, and then fairly quickly got pregnant again, because again, that would be running down sure. the, the vitamin D reserves. And do you think people um, geographically, latitudes you mentioned, do they have to look, whether they can look online for this and, and, and determine how much vitamin D3 is available in their sunlight at, throughout the year because presumably southern Europe will be have more months where vitamin D3 is coming through the sunlight and yeah you'd be and, able and, and to Florida you'd be able to access, and, yeah, yeah you'd be able to access that information you know in the same way as you can look at math data for what the average person requires you'd be able to find an equivalent data for the country that you're in so mm -hmm. other groups that are are recommended to take vitamin D it's now quite common for uh, neurologists to say that people with um, MS, multiple sclerosis, or any neurodegenerative yeah. disease should be taking vitamin D. So again, that's the uh, impact of vitamin D on the nervous system. Because, because multiple sclerosis um, is, 
is rarely seen in equatorial countries or countries with high it's, sunlight. It's it's yeah it's it's got it, it's it's got a very low incidence at the equator. Um, Where there's a steady amount of sun. Yeah, sun and the and the autoimmune conditions uh, occur much less at the equator. So the vitamin D is linked with autoimmune mm. conditions and things like that. It's, it's funny. So. It's funny with humans, isn't it? If you think just general thought that if we came from Africa, how much of a challenge it is for us to live in these various pockets of the world still. And how it's just funny that we, we expect ourselves to go in the modern world at full kilter, don't we, in, in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere, regardless of the season. And it's, and it's often, uh, you know, in, in, in studies on uh, what people require, if you like, it's often the people that the, 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 the humans that are living in extreme conditions that are studied yes. to, see, to see what happens if. Mm. You know, like the Inuit Eskimos, um, they were studied because, you know, they, they, they developed this idea that um, animal fats were harmful to you and increased your risks of heart disease. And then somebody said, well, how, how come the Inuit Eskimos don't, get, don't have heart attacks? Yeah. So then that opened up the omega-3 story. So they have an equivalent of... 14 mls of of omega-3s because they've got a fish-based diet yeah um but well, their, whale whale is it Ma yeah and but yeah. but then their omega-3 consumption puts them at risk of bleeding because the omega-3s increase your risk of bleeding so if or you do don't have stop a, your fibrinogen or is it it it, it, it clot, the clotting mechanisms are an inflammatory process so if you if you're cells membranes are rich in omega-3s too loose they they they, they don't clot <laughs> so we've we the the uk omega the the average per six to three ratio in the uk would be 20 to one mm. so 20 20 parts of omega-6 to one of omega-3s whereas the eskimos might be one part of six three or more of omegas yeah so they've gone too far into the omega threes they're they're, but they're, they're too rich in the omega threes yeah but the extreme environment they probably want the calories because of the, that the fat yeah and, yeah but but if they if they have a stroke it'll be a hemorrhagic stroke if you take a tooth out it'll bleed for days um <laughs> Whereas we, we, you know, the commonest... Yeah, the root co canal, probably best to avoid that. So yeah. the, commonest, the commonest problem in the UK is not bleeding through deficiency, but clotting through deficiency. Deficiency so of what? Of, of omega-3s and antioxidants. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so, so the average person is omega-6 to 3 ratio is 20 to 1. So you're looking for that People that point. eat oily fish might be 3 to, three to 1. Yeah. Um, but no, but there's two populations. There's those that don't eat oily fish, who are twenty to one, and those that eat oily fish that are three to one. It's and probably three to one is equivalent to, of about two mLs of fish oil a day. Yeah. So if you like a a, a, a fish eating UK person would be having two mLs of fish oil a day on average. To, wouldn't need to supplement fish oil if they're doing that. You wouldn't need to. No. No. Uh, you could do because it would be safe to go up to five mLs of stop fish oil. Cl clotting. No, no, point, you, no, you'd be okay going up to five mLs of fish oil a day, but the Inuits were fourteen, 
so you can so, sort of get an idea of wow. uh, you don't want to be def yeah. deficient in the omega-3s and the omega-3s uh, interact with vitamin D so that if you've got omega-3 deficiency and vitamin D deficiency then your brain function is more affected mm. so brain people have known for instance Alex Richardson in Oxford did a study of giving one ml of fish oil to a seven-year-old uh, to you know a group of seven-year-olds and after six weeks they were learning more quickly yeah and retaining, retaining knowledge, knowledge yeah. better it's amazing so that was the omega-3 so you know a seven-year-old one ml is equivalent to an people, adult people, people, two ml people talk about omegas for recovery don't they as well from exercise and things like that potentially yeah. being, being important yeah so when when you read about the omega threes, it says you know, and this is where, in a way, you the, the the way we learn doesn't necessarily give us a clear idea. It says the omega threes end up being the phospholipids in the cell membrane and the inflammatory mediators in the tissue, but yeah. actually they're one and the same. So we put the omega threes into the cell membrane, and when that cell gets irritated the omega-3s and the other lipids come out of the cell membrane oh, okay. into the tissues yeah. and become the inflammatory mediators. So they're kind of lurking in the cell and then they... So they're in, the, they're in yeah. the cell membrane. When that cell is stressed, then they leak out of the membrane into the tissues and become the inflammatory mediators. For final thought around supplementation. If, you, if you're short on fish oil and you take that, you're great. You've, you said to take selenium and zinc and vitamin D3 year round. How important is it that we don't replace healthy activities with supplementation so for example i know that a lot of the neuroscientists talk about brain function talk about the importance of daylight regardless of of supplementation status for your for your brain chemistry your circadian rhythm things like that your serotonin production and then melatonin in the evening do you think it's important for people to remember that if they are in the uk in the winter they still have to try and duck outside it get 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 10 minutes in the morning if they can yeah. before work or early on then then at lunchtime get out and get some daylight in their eyes well i think what you i think what you're doing with supplementation is you're taking things that are micronutrients mm. so that by definition means you know milligrams or micrograms a day so these are things that you need in very small amount but the majority of of your body is is from macronutrients and so the macronutrients are the things that yeah build the so, bigger so, so you can't have a poor make the, you can't have a poor diet if you're you have a poor diet yeah. and have a great supplement you're not going to be well no. you've got to have a good diet and and if you so your proteins you if, if you look at what constitutes a good diet um then i i would and people argue about this you know what constitutes a good diet um I think the answer is probably to eat whole foods rather than processed foods yeah. and to go for a phospholipid rich diet. So things like, by definition, pulses, beans, nuts and seeds are the start of life yeah. uh, in nature. And therefore they would give you the phospholipid rich foods will give you the things that you need for your skin, your brain. Uh, and, cetera, and the carbohydrate fat protein split is the perception of that shifting because it used to be what 50% carbohydrate we used to work it out by foods. sort of saying well you know you need one gram of protein per kilogram yeah. well some so, people now are saying they, that we should eat more protein aren't they there's a, there's a sort of yeah a, movement a towards kind of yeah conversation around that yeah and so you know people would say well you need 70 you know if you're a 70 kilogram man you need 70 uh, grams of protein therefore mm. that you know by definition, the protein is for 
four calories, isn't it? So that makes up f- four times 70. Yeah. Uh, Which is why people like protein as well, because it's low low calorie compared to yeah. yeah. So two, you know, well, two hundred eighty, and then they would say, well, a third of your diet should be oils, and yeah. that's nine nine calories per gram. So, yes. so, and then they say the rest can be carbohydrate, but uh, carbohydrates pref- don't satiate, do they? Whereas proteins no, and I so they feel and you I think the the logic is why not look at the foods that are good for you, and see what the ratios are in the good foods, mm. and if you take things like pulses, beans, nuts, and seeds. Often it's a third carbohydrate, a third protein, and a third oil. Mm. Um, oil being fat, yeah. Or, yeah, the, the, yeah, fat, fats, yeah. Using the so, term, inter- interchangeably using those terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah because it, they could be uh, animal-based oils or they could be seed-based oils, but they're, you know, they're, and they're 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 calorie rich. Um, they're nine calories per gram. And, and in a way, if you if you look, say, for instance, at carcass meat, carcass meat would be 70% protein, 30% fat, mm-hmm. whereas processed meats would be often 70% fat, 30% protein. Wow. So, so, so you, you've, you've, you, you know, in a, in a burger. Yeah. You, you would, that's for what taste buds to try. And, so, yeah. so, you know, you, you would be, you'd be 30% protein, 70% fat. So you're less filling, but more calorific for what you yeah. have, which is interesting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so less protein, more fat. Um, so that again, you know, that when you when you start moving into processed foods, you you tend to shift the balance, mm. um, and it's it's harder. So if you, if you look at um, some of you know people compare Paleolithic diets, and they say, oh well, look, the carbohydrates are the same, yeah, but the you know uh, as Paleolithic and modern diets, but the 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 carbohydrates that they had were complex, mm. and the, the carbohydrates the roots. they were roots yeah. carbohydrates, whereas our our carbohydrates are simple sugars. Yeah, so they're, they they're have, high glycemic. They'd only have that in fructose in the summer with yeah. the berries. Yeah, so. with a but yeah, oh, brilliant. So. We could talk all day, Dad, but I know it's the the second half now of the FA Cup <laughs> round three on uh, Saturday the seventh of January. Thanks for coming on, Dad. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Find it particularly interesting with vitamin D3 as the research unfolds, and specifically what my dad was talking about there in the terms of the dopamine connection, serotonin connection, that mental well being aspect of, of what vitamin D3 evokes in our physiology, and potentially connect that to seasonal affective disorder and sort of gloom and lack of energy which afflicts some of us in the winter and I find it more of a challenge in the winter I've always said that and I think after maybe that psychological from being in the West Indies as a kid in my formative years and enjoying the sunshine and the relative decent amount of daylight throughout the year pretty equatorial so it's similar throughout the year you don't get the swings of, of the UK but found that really interesting and certainly I supplement vitamin D3 as well and try and get outdoors as much as I can as well for the benefits of being in daylight so I hope you enjoyed that. And there's that fine balance, of course, in the summer of not getting sunburned. So it's a it's an interesting picture. But let me know what you think of if you found vitamin D3 supplementation has helped. If you enjoyed the podcast, let me know as well. Rate it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you might be listening. And just appreciate you being here. You could tell a friend. That'd be as good as anything. Send it on WhatsApp, text message, however you might choose to do that. I really appreciate your support. Thank you to the support of the podcast sponsors as well. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV Cytoplan. If you are looking to optimize your immunity, look up those vitamin D3 supplements. It is Draper 10R is the code, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, 
the numbers one zero and the capital letter R gets you 30% off your first purchase, 10% ongoing at checkout at cytoplan.co.uk. Remember Attic Box Audio, if you're looking to preserve loved ones' life stories, have me having a conversation with them after 20 years of being a broadcaster. I just love finding out about people, so it's a pleasure to do that. And also Anthony Asprey and the Whole Man Academy, those free mentoring sessions available via the show notes. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a great rest of the week, weekend, whatever you're doing. Goodbye for now.